Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is dawning upon you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what divides the Christian church? How you answer that often depends on perspective, what you happen to think is important. Some will talk about divisions in the church as primarily cultural or political. Some will talk about race and ethnicity or economics. Survivors of congregational conflicts might point to personality or personality disorders as what divides the church. And even some of the great national or denominational splits in history have found their roots in one individual's insistence on going his own way. King Henry VIII taking the Church of England out of the Roman Catholic Church being a prime example. But while psychological or sociological approaches can be informative, ultimately there is only one thing that truly divides Christ's church on earth, theology. If one church teaches X about some doctrine of Scripture and another teaches not X but Y, about that same doctrine, well, that clearly causes a theological division. But it is also a theological issue when some person or church insists that, say, being white or black is more important than what the Bible says about the gospel and God's family being for all people, or says that our way of doing things must be God's only right way because we like it, even though Scripture never says anything about it. What divides Christians? Not as a group, but as individuals. What leaves us feeling spiritually split, tearing us up inside and weakening our faith? Well, here, too, there are many psychological and other factors we can point to. Ultimately, this also comes down to theology. Do you trust God's promises, or don't you? Do you call something good because it suits your preferences, even though God has clearly called that thing bad? Do you have doubts where the Lord wants you to have certainty, either because you don't know or don't believe what the Scriptures say. Those are theological issues. For centuries, and still very much today, there is one thing that has consistently both divided the Christian church and Christians individually. It is clearly a doctrinal issue, but it is one that also goes right to the heart of a believer's life of faith. And getting it right or wrong makes a huge difference, even or perhaps especially if it's seen as not a very big deal. This thing is baptism. So today we're going to take a brief look at baptism, and we will not ignore the divisions. We will meet them head on, address the doubts that wrong thinking and teaching about this sacrament represent. We will do this or try in real-life terms, using the doubts of four people that you might know or meet. We'll start with an old friend of yours from high school, Tim. 
You've reconnected recently, and you are pleased to discover that he has not lost the faith that you knew he had back then. As you talk about the churches that each of you attend, he says, yeah, yeah, I used to be kind of like you, making a big deal out of little things, but I guess my thinking about Christianity is mellowed as I've gotten older. When you get down to it, you know, all that really matters is the gospel. Believe in Jesus as your Savior, and that's it. Take baptism, for instance. It's a great custom and symbol, but when you get down to it, I doubt that Jesus really cares that much about it. How do you respond? Well, you start by remembering that as Christians, we speak the truth in love, and we give our answers with gentleness and respect. Tim did not intend this to start a fight, and so you don't make it one. But there are still some important points you want to make. Tim, I appreciate your point of view. And I agree that a lot of people in the church have forgotten that the gospel needs to be at the center of everything. Of course, we have to be sure, first of all, that that everyone understands what the gospel really is. It's not be nice because Jesus was, or you better be good for goodness sake. No, the gospel is the good news of free salvation for sinners. It's a tragedy that, that lots of people in Christian churches don't really see Jesus as their Savior because they don't see themselves as sinners in need, in, who need one. But we are all sinners, Tim deep down and from the inside out. And as, as such, we all deserve, or rather all we deserve from God is death and damnation, not any kind of reward. And since we can't save ourselves, in love, God saved us. He sent His Son, Jesus, to take our place, both in obedience and punishment. And with His death, He delivered us from all our sins, and with His resurrection, He won us eternal life. That is the gospel, Tim. And yes, it is the most important and essential thing there is. But Tim, that's the very reason that baptism is a big deal and not a little thing. Jesus, our Savior, is the one who told us so and and also showed us so. You remember the Great Commission, right? But do you remember the, the first thing Christ said to do as part of making disciples of all nations? He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. But it's not just Christ's clear command there that puts baptism right in the center for Christians. It was also his actions. Right at the beginning of his ministry, Tim, Jesus himself went to John to be baptized. He made it clear that this was something important for God's people to do. And his father honored that by speaking from heaven in approval. And the Holy Spirit came down from heaven on him. And and what did Peter tell the crowd on Pentecost? When the people, convicted of their sin in crucifying their Savior, asked, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins. So no, baptism is not just a little thing. There's no doubt about it. It has always been a big part of God's plan. Of course, Tim is not the only non-Lutheran Christian you know. Betsy is someone you work with, and and while she's friendly enough, whenever you mention what church you're a part of, she gets a, a look in her eyes that is part disapproval and part disgust. One day you, you finally confront her and, and ask her about this, and she says, oh, I'm so sorry about that. I, I don't intend to be unfriendly. It's just that I know that yours is one of those churches that, that teaches that getting baptized saves you, and that's just so wrong. Of course, in my Baptist church, we baptize, but it's because Jesus said to. We do it out of obedience. It's a sign and, and a symbol. But you, you say that baptism actually makes a difference for people's salvation. <laughs> I doubt that. Now you pause to collect yourself before answering. Betsy, I understand. It bothers me, too, when someone or a church teaches that doing something saves you, because that's contrary to the gospel, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, without any works of our own. But I'm afraid that that you don't actually understand what we teach and believe about baptism and that it is all gospel. It is not our work, but God's work entirely and absolutely that brings salvation through baptism. Sure, I may ask to be baptized or have my child baptized, but that's not a work on my part. That's simply a response to the Lord's invitation and grace. And this is exactly what the Bible teaches about baptism. In 1 Peter 3, the apostle says it explicitly, baptism saves you. And in Titus 3, Paul talks about it as a a washing and makes clear that its power comes from the Spirit, not from the one being baptized. He wrote, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. How did he do that? It says he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, a reference to baptism, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So yes, Betsy, we teach what the Bible says. That baptism works forgiveness of sin, delivers from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe. And what makes this not just a symbolic washing with water is the word of God that Christ has attached to it and the faith that trusts that word. That's why our baptizing babies is the opposite of what you think. It is actually a powerful affirmation that salvation and faith and life are entirely worked by God and not by the individual. Because, of course, that baby isn't doing anything to save itself. And, of course, babies are included in the all nations that Jesus tells us to baptize, just like everyone else. Betsy, baptism is a powerful thing that does wonderful things. 
Because that's what God says it is. There's no doubt about it. Now, a few days after that conversation with Betsy, you find out that Roy, another co-worker, was kind of listening in. As a Roman Catholic, he was pleased to hear you defend baptizing babies, but, but he has a point of his own that he wants to make. You know, you talk about baptism as though it's something I should pay attention to. I was baptized long ago as a baby like you. I don't even remember it. I know it, it gained me some grace before God, but, but I doubt that thinking about it now is going to make any kind of difference. Well, the first thing that comes to your mind is what you memorized from Luther's small catechism. Baptism means that the old Adam in us should be drowned by daily contrition and repentance and that all its evil deeds and desires be put to death. It also means that a new person should daily arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. But you realize that quoting Luther probably won't mean much with Roy. So what can you do? Be a good Lutheran and point him to Scripture. And something that as a Roman Catholic he probably heard a lot about. The death and resurrection of Christ. You can go to Romans 6. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. With that, you show, Roy, how the Apostle Paul himself taught that baptism makes a huge difference. Not just as something that, that happened in the past, but as something that matters for how a Christian lives every day. Just as Christ's death and resurrection matter every day. When we sin, and we do, we repent of it. Drowning our old flesh again and again nailing those sins to the cross. And then, in faith, we embrace the forgiveness Jesus won for us there, and we rise up as he rose up and live the new life that we are called to. Baptism is not just history. It is your Christian life today. There's no doubt about it. Now, there's one more friend worth talking to about baptism. She is not a Baptist or a Presbyterian, not a Roman Catholic or a megachurch member. Maggie is a fellow Lutheran, a sister from your own congregation. You know she's been a Christian all her life, but lately she's been troubled. 
You saw her duck out of church right after the service without talking to anyone. So you give her a call Sunday evening and ask her what's going on and if there's anything you can do to help. She shares some of the difficulties that she's been facing in life and and that lately she's been wondering why her faith doesn't seem to be making her feel any better through it all. And then she says, I just don't know what good any of it is or if any of it's really real. Am I saved? Am I going to heaven? Is there a heaven? Are my sins forgiven? How do I know? I'm just such a mess up and a nobody. I doubt God wants me or even knows or cares who I am. And this is where the rubber of baptism meets the road of life. Of course, there are all sorts of important and helpful things that you can say to her at this point, but as a Lutheran, you have the particular privilege of pointing her to her baptism. You can say to her, Maggie, Maggie, you are my dear sister in Christ. And I can say that because I know and you know that we are both beloved members of the family of God. The Father claimed you. Yes, you, Maggie, as his own and put his name on you when you were baptized. You are precious to him as his child and he will not let you go. You are as far from being a nobody as you can get. You are a royal priest of the Most High God, a prized subject of Christ the King and an ambassador of his gospel. How you feel today or tomorrow doesn't change any of that. It's not about what you think or do or say or experience. It is an objective fact. And you have the proof of that. The proof of God's love and your place in his family in your baptism. That happened. That was done for you. And no one and nothing can take it away. And Maggie... Remember what else the Holy Spirit does through baptism. He gives and strengthens faith every day because baptism's power lasts a lifetime. Your baptism connects you to Christ's death and resurrection, which were all for your salvation, which were all about love for you, and you can trust that. Look to your baptism. And let the Lord who keeps all promises strengthen you through it, just as he does when you read and hear his promises in the Bible and when you receive the Lord's Supper. Maggie, it is all grace and it is all for you because we have a God who is all love and who is all for you. Maggie, there is no doubt about it. And that, that is a wonderful thing for all of us to keep in mind in, in every conversation about and with every consideration of baptism. It is all about giving us certainty and confidence, and it can do so because it is all about God's work in and for us and not at all about our weak and willful efforts to achieve anything before Him. We never have to ask, did it take should I do it again about baptism? 
Because we know that when the Holy Spirit does something, He does it right. So we remember this great gift of God and means of grace, not just once in a while, but every day. It inspires us to repentance and new life, and it strengthens our faith's grip on Christ and His cross. Baptism is a treasure beyond compare. There is no doubt about it. Amen. Please rise. Now to Him who is able according to the power that is at work within us, to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.